Well, good morning. Glad to see you here this morning. Great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Thank you for letting Trish and I have a uh, time off last weekend. Uh, we had a, an amazingly relaxing time painting. <laughs> no, we really did have a good time. Went to her sister's house, new home, and we did a lot of painting and stuff for her. We had a great time and wonderful 4th of July. I'm so glad to see you here. And let's all stand together. Join our hearts together as we sing out and cry out to the King, Holy, Holy, Holy.
voices at the cross at the cross where i first saw the light may be seated as you take your attention to the screens, please.
silence you won't let go in the questions your truth will hold your great love will lead me through you are the peace in my troubled sea whoa you are the peace in my troubled sea my As you can tell, our preteens and our youth had a great time at camp. Sponsor places go really fast, and so right after the surface, sponsor sign-up will be out in the foyer before you lose the enthusiasm from the, the videos. And so, but no, uh, thank you uh, for being in prayer for our preteens and our youth. And uh, no better way to break in your brand new youth minister than to send him off to camp the very first week. Uh, that he's here and uh, so but don't forget tonight at five o'clock we'll not only be kicking off our summer Bible study that Raymond will be talking about here more here in a minute uh, but uh, also we'll be having a welcome uh, reception for uh, Stephen and Alex a gift card pounding uh, for them and that will all start at five o'clock uh, back in uh, the gym so grateful that you're here uh, this morning and I hope that you've come expecting and anticipating God uh, to do something special in this place this morning as we continue to worship our Lord. Thank you, Jeff. Let's all stand together as we continue to worship him.
everybody got worries. Oh, 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 oh. Everybody knows sorrow, devastation.
will join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith with one voice a thousand generations sing worthy is the man who shout the hymn of heaven, to declare to the world what you have done for us. May we do that as we live our daily lives. May Jesus be fresh on our lips so that we can share about the love you have for us, the love that you have for the world. And we cry out, holy, holy, holy to you. May Jesus be magnified in this place this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. You may be seated. us wants to live a life of purpose and impact. We want to be a difference maker. The world's craving for it. We were created for it. And how do we do that? What really happens to make a difference? Well, your life is a life of impact, not just passing time, but really walking with purpose and impact. Well, first of all, God's got to do something in you. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to move in your heart and life so that he can change you and let you know of his love. Then he wants to do something 
through you. And when we become a usable vessel for him, then God can use us to change the world. He does something great in us through Christ. He does something great through us to allow us to make a difference in other people's lives. So let's live a life of impact and purpose by being a difference maker and learning what that really means. Step for being a difference maker. Uh, our youth, if you would come up here, anybody under uh, between, uh, I don't know, teenage and 20s and 30s, come on up here. And we're going to let Alex and, and Stephen pull this off because we know they have incredible skill sets. All right, I need nine of you guys to line up, probably like maybe on the second row up there, and I'm going to give you a, a letter. Don't show anybody the letter. Just walk up there. Don't show the letter, show the letter yet. No, 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 don't show the letter. Please don't show the letter yet, okay? Got a letter. Got a letter. Got a letter. I may run out, guys. I'm sorry. Don't show anybody your letter. Don't show anybody your letter yet. Okay. All right. All right, Isaac, you've already graduated, so give that to Valley, okay? All right, Alex and Stephen, we want you over here. This is, okay, you guys are getting ready to help us out. You guys stand over here, kind of, well, you, maybe you might want to work together. You're married. You might want to work together here. They're going to, these letters are going to pop up, and then we're going to try to watch Stephen and Alex figure out what the very first step is for being a difference maker, okay? So we got 60 seconds for you guys to figure it out. Ready? Everybody turn around your letter, and you guys are going to try to put them in order, and this will demonstrate what the very first step is for being a difference maker. Feel free to call for a lifeline out in the congregation if you, if you want to help. And you can, you, can, you can move the people around. Yeah, you're going to move everybody around to try to figure out what it is. All right, we got movement going here. Oh, 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 okay. Oh. Look at you guys, okay? Teamwork. You guys know what you spelled? Showing up. Great job. Thanks for showing up and being up here. We couldn't have done it without you. You, you couldn't have made a difference for all of us if you didn't show up, right? That's the very first step towards being a difference maker. You guys can go sit down. Alex, Stephen, great job. Um, remember that we have a pounding for them tonight. Bring gift cards, and uh, you may want to do like we are, bring a universal gift card, has a dead president or a founding father on there, used anywhere uh, that money is taken. But yeah, I want to encourage all of you guys to show up uh, tonight as we begin this, and show up each and every week. You might show up tonight, and it might be a real dud, 
and you say, like, like you know, sometimes you show up to church and it just doesn't work. And you say, I'm not going to come back. Show up each time, and that's the very first step towards being a difference maker. Uh, you got these books. If you haven't gotten a book yet, you can pick one up out in the atrium on your way out. Make sure you start to read that, and we'd love for you to be here tonight at 5 o'clock. When you go back to the gym, everybody's color-coded. Did you know you already have a color? Yeah, you have a color. And go back into the gym, start looking around the wall, find your name, find what color you're in. Then you're going to sit with your color, and that'll be the group that you're with. You'll get to meet your deacon. Some of you say, well, I already know who my deacon is. Maybe not, because during the pandemic, we had an enormous amount of change going on. So we have restructured the way that deacons are operating and the people that they are in charge of ministering to. So we want to make sure that you know who your new deacon might be. And if you had a really busy week, I was just curious if anybody in the congregation this week had a really busy week and ended up, oh, in the last couple of weeks, becoming the um, Port of Beaumont Board of Commissioners president. I mean, just kind of stumbled into that. Anybody? Yeah, oh, Pat Anderson, he's the president of the Board of Commissioners. Congratulations to you. It was fun to be at your installation down there and watching Man the Gavel. But uh, crazy things happen out in our congregation every week. People end up being president of the Board of Commissioners. And I don't see the watch. Are they here? I don't see them anywhere. Um, they ended up on the front page of the Beaumont Enterprise in a good way, thankfully. And you can ask them about that. Um, oh, yeah, one last thing. We, we probably haven't addressed enough attention to this. There are people that really like old school directories. And that's what we have here. We have an app that we've had out for a number of years, and we encourage you to use that or this, but they are out at the Connection Center. You got a picture in there. If your picture's not in there, that means you didn't cooperate with us. That's all it means. We ask and we ask and we ask for the last five years, and you didn't get your picture in. So by the time we print the next one, we hope that your picture will be in there. Well, um, we are in this series called Mandates. We're going to be finishing that up as the summer winds down moving into a new series as we kick off the fall called Family Resemblance. We'll be looking at the books of James and Jude. But today, as we continue in this series, remember that Jesus has commanded us as his followers to teach everybody how to obey his commands. Not just teach them the commands, but teach them to obey those commands. And for this series this morning, I want to ask you for this message this morning, I want to ask you to try to fill in this blank. We all want revival, right? We hope for God to do a fresh work in our lives. We're hopeful that that's going to be happening as we go into this uh, summer study together. But fill in the blank. Revival begins in the... Revival begins in the... Okay, you have an idea, your answer, you got it, mark that. And I want to read to you uh, the person that made this statement... Uh, Dr. C.M. Ward, he was a pastor, an evangelist, uh, college president, and he hosted a radio program for 25 years called The Revival Time. Listen to what he said that includes that statement. Revival starts when we are totally surrendered to God. And the last thing we are usually willing to surrender to him is our money. That's the thing that we want to control the most. So revival begins in the pocketbook. And we would say to ourselves, okay, some of you are looking for the door right now, I understand. But the whole idea is how in the world would revival begin in the pocketbook? Well, you understand his statement there. That's usually the last thing that we want to give up control of to God, and so we hold on to it, and it prevents us from being everything that God has created us to be, from being fully surrendered to him. 
A survey by Wells Fargo found that Americans find it more difficult to talk about money than they do about death, politics, or religion. But uniquely, that's not all over the world. There are many cultures in which they have open and frank discussions about money as a part of everyday conversations. So since I'm dealing with a pretty tough crowd, you'd rather talk about death and politics and religion, I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. This message is not about Westgate's budget. It's about our relationship with Christ. You see, Jesus gave us these commands that we've been looking at, not to hurt us, but to help us, to make us everything that he's created us to be. So let's hear what he has to say about giving. We're going to be looking at this commandment to give found in Luke chapter 20, verses 20 through 26, and Acts 20, 33 through 35. And if you don't have a Bible, or you don't have something to, to pull up on, on your phone to, to, to read the Bible, you can turn to the Pew Bible in front of you, page 1635 and page 1728. I'd love for all of us to follow along. We're looking at a very important topic, as we always do, from God's Word. It says in Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 20, keeping a close watch on Jesus, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? It says in verse 23 that he saw through their duplicity and said to them, show me a denarius, whose image and inscription are on it. They replied, Caesar's. He said to them, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said, and they were astonished by his answer, and they became silent. And then we're going to look at a passage of Scripture over in Acts chapter 20, verses 33 through 35. And to give you the context, this is Paul, and he is on the way to Jerusalem. It's really what he believes to be his last trip to Jerusalem. He will be imprisoned. He will be taken uh, ultimately to Rome. And as he's going there, everybody knows that bad things are going to happen. He stops by to speak to the elders at Ephesus. Remember the book of Ephesians that you have? He's speaking to the, the leaders of that church and he says this in part of what he says as he's talking with them along the beach. He says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we know that your word is infinitely more important than we can imagine. And we are grateful that you've given it to, to us to guide us in our relationship with you and our relationships with other people. And it guides us in our relationship with ourselves because sometimes that's the most difficult relationship of all. We struggle with that process that we've talked about of surrendering our complete being to you, of denying ourselves and following hard after you. 
We know that as we deal with this topic, for some of us, it's no big deal. We feel like we have surrendered all of our resources to you, and for some of us, it's still a struggle. So we pray that you would guide us, you would lower our defenses, you would encourage us as we hear your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Two different scenarios, one being that Jesus is trying to be trapped by religious leaders. They are doing everything that they can to try to send him to the cross, not understanding he's going there voluntarily anyway. They kind of want to keep tripping him up so that they can have the upper hand. And they, they think they have a wonderful question to answer him, you know, ask him, is, you know, who, do, who should we pay taxes to? Caesar? Does he deserve our money, our attention, our loyalty? Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar? And, and when you think about that, the bottom line was they chafed at the fact that they paid anything to Rome. But more than that, they just didn't like Rome's control over their lives. They didn't want anybody to control them. Quite honestly, they didn't even want God to control their lives. And Jesus, as it says there, saw the duplicity of what they were asking. They weren't asking a legitimate question. They were just trying to trap him. But Jesus gave a very profound statement, one that so amazed them that we're still talking about it even today. You give to Caesar what's Caesar's, and you give to God what is God's. Completely shut them up. And then we roll over to what Paul is talking about as he's speaking to this group of religious leaders at the church of Ephesus, and he tells them it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we may not have even known that that was in the Bible. We've heard it said many times. But as Paul quoting words of Jesus that we don't find anywhere else in Scripture. So we go back and we ask the question, what does it mean with this command to give? Just a couple of things real quickly this morning. First of all, giving begins with a clear understanding of ownership. That's what Jesus was saying to the religious leaders. You feel like you're owned by Caesar if you have to give him something. Jesus wasn't the least bit concerned about Caesar's kingdom because he knows that his kingdom is over all kingdoms. Sometimes we get so concerned about various kingdoms and we forget that God's kingdom is over all kingdoms. They didn't want to be controlled by anybody and Jesus said, you are controlled by Rome and you're controlled by your own selfishness and your own greed but you need to be controlled by God because God owns it all. That's what Psalm 24.1 reminds us of. Everything in the world belongs to God. You lock your doors at night, as do I, because we don't want anybody to take our things. But everything belongs to God if we truly believe what God's word says. We own nothing. And we are all behind on the rent. C.S. Lewis stated in Mere Christianity, that a number of you have read, that we can't give God anything that he doesn't already possess. Everything that we have belongs to God. So when we talk about this command of giving, it's a starting point is to realize that God owns it all. It's not a matter of us trying to say it's, it's mine. Just think about who's going to own your house in 100 years from now. Who's going to own your house 100 years from now? That is not a trick question. 
Are you going to own your house 100 years from now? No. Do you own your house now? Some of you do. You've paid off your mortgage. For some of you, you think you own your house, and truthfully, the bank owns it, right? You see, we feel like we are in so much more control than we really are. And the Bible reminds us that we are commanded by God to give to God what belongs to him, not just our money, but our loyalty, our commitment, our trust, everything about us. So this command to give begins with the understanding that God owns it all. So how much do we own? Again, not a trick question. How much do we own? We own everything. God owns everything. How much do we own? Starting to get through, right? I can tell you you don't believe me. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. That God owns everything. And that's why Jesus says, give to God what is God's. And what he meant was, as you read the rest of the Bible, you'll find that everything belongs to him. Now, for those of you that are really struggling right now, that's not a statement to say you need to go sell your house and give everything to the poor, like you talked about to the rich young ruler. It's just to recognize it's all his. And so you check in with him and say, how would you like for us to steward, to manage the resources that you have given us? So giving begins with a clear understanding of ownership that we don't own it, but God does. And then it continues, this command of, of giving, it continues in our lives with a heart fully surrendered to God. We go back to something that we talked about a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Do you remember the way that that phrase that said that you must hate everything in your life, even your own self, in comparison to your love for God? And so when we go back and say, what is a heart fully surrendered to God? It is saying that it's all yours. I fully surrender everything that I have to you. We can become begrudging in giving. We may hit a, a tough stretch financially, and when we give, we're, we, we feel mad that we have to give, that we're called to give. Or it may be that we look at our neighbors and we see some of the cars that they drive or the houses that they live in or the toys that they possess. And we get begrudging about that. But if our heart is fully surrendered to God and we hate everything, even money, in comparison to our love for God, then we will faithfully follow this command. See, part of the struggle that we have with money is that we believe money will buy us happiness. It's the key to happiness. It was the late Joan Rivers who used this phrase in her comedy routine. She would say, people say uh, it's not the key, that money is not the key to happiness, but I've always figured that if you have enough money, you can have a key made. Some of us think that. You know, if you have enough money, you can have a key to happiness made. A lot of conversation about recession right now, right? Some of you think we're going to go into a deep recession. Some of you are convinced that we're not. But there's a lot of conversation about recession. You know, 14 years ago, we had the, the worst financial situation since the Great Depression nearly a century ago. It was so bad Many of you remember, it was dubbed what? The great... Am I hitting with any cylinders here today? 
I mean, friends, that was just a few years ago. It was a great recession, right? I remember it well. Virtually half of your investments were lost. Roughly 50% of the market disappeared. And right in the middle of that financial crisis that was global, in December of 2008, a survey was done asking people about how they viewed life. 80% of Americans said they were satisfied with how things were going in their personal life. 80% said, I'm fine. And I just lost half of what I thought that I owned. See, happiness is not tied up in money. It's found in a meaningful relationship with God, and that's what Jesus is saying. He said, you guys are you're nickel and a dime in this stuff, trying to figure out how much you owe to Caesar. He said, you're always going to have to pay taxes. But the main thing is, are you fully surrendered to the kingdom of God? And when we have a meaningful relationship with God, it impacts every relationship that we have. You know, what's funny is that you find across the board, and it's not, not every single person, but across the board in general terms, the more money you make, the smaller percentage you give away to charity. Did you know that? You would think it'd be the exact opposite. You know, people that don't have much, they're just they're hanging on to everything. But the truth is, the higher you go up in the financial brackets, the lower the percentage of giving. That's why whenever it comes to voting in elections, one of the first things I want to see is, what is the charitable giving of the candidate? They want to change the world. They want to borrow my money, use my, not borrow, they want to take my money to change the world, and they're giving a whopping 1% of their income in charitable donations. It's interesting the hold that money can have on us. See, when we give, it helps us to trust God. There's this thing called tithing, and, and I hope that you already are aware of it. If you're not, let me just explain briefly. God's word commands us as followers to be tithers, but that's just the beginning point. Some people act like, man, that is a bunch of money. It's just 10%, 10% of what God has blessed you with, that you give that to kingdom work. And when we do that, it helps us to trust God because we recognize that we are parting with at least 10% of our income. And so we're trusting God to fill in the gaps. But as we said a couple of weeks ago, Oswald Chambers made this very important statement. The root of all sin is a suspicion that God is not good. And so we have the suspicion that if we give away a portion of our income, that somehow God is going to punish us? That we can't trust God? And when we give, we're saying, God, I trust you. I, I can't fathom how we will make it on 90% instead of 100%, but we're going to trust you for that. Did you know that today is the same kind of thing? The day of worship? God's word calls us to cease from our work. And I know some of you say I work way too long on Sundays. I understand that. That was a little bit of a joke, but I guess not, very, not a very, it must have been a real little bit of a joke. But the whole idea of the Sabbath is for us to, to rest. For a lot of us, we try to catch up, right? But when we just pause and say, God, I'm going to focus my attention on you, there's this, there's this fear that if we don't keep working, we're going to get behind. And so it's a trust to say, God, I'm going to sacrifice other things 
to focus on you today and trust that you will fill in the gaps. So, has revival, let me personalize it, has revival begun in your pocketbook? In your pocketbook. Has revival begun in your pocketbook? In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, God speaks to his people and he makes a very strong statement. He says, you are robbing me. And they're bewildered. They're like, how in the world are we robbing you? I mean, we can't even get to your pockets. And God says, you're robbing me by holding back the tithe. And then God says something very profound. He says, test me in this. He says, I'll, I'll cut a deal with you. You just test me. And again to talk, ask me to see if I won't fill in the gaps. It doesn't mean that you're going to drive the nicest car the, the, or have the things that you want, but you test me and you don't see if I provide for you. And we think about tithing is, is, is really, and I understand if you've never tithed, it may seem like a, a monumental task. It's one of the richest blessings of our lives. Michelle and I established that before we even got married. It's just a part of what we do. And we love it. We love being able to give away resources and income to kingdom causes. It's fun. Some people say, you know, give until it hurts. No, you need to keep giving until it really makes you feel good. Because as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, God loves a cheerful giver, not a begrudging giver. Now, he will still take your money. But he prefers the cheerful giver that recognizes it's a heart of trust that he will provide. Tina Nichols was trying to teach small children in her Sunday school class about tithing. She gave each one of them a stack of 10 pennies. And then she was trying to educate them and saying, no, tithing is I want you to take one penny off the stack and that belongs to God. And she thought she was really making some progress until one little boy said, you sure are stingy with God. You only gets one? Well, you don't have to stop at the tithe. You can give way beyond the tithe. And I would encourage you to do so. But today, I just want to circle back and ask the question, has revival begun in your pocketbook? That may be the one thing that's holding you back from having that relationship that you desire with God. And sometimes we go kicking and screaming. But I pray that you would fully surrender that to God. Your choice. Again, Westgate is not the beneficiary of your giving. It helps causes here, yes. But Westgate is not the beneficiary or any church that you give to. Who's the beneficiary? You are. See, just a couple pages in your Bible from Malachi chapter 3 You'll find Matthew chapter 6, verse 20. And when Jesus said, store up treasures for yourself. So he's not saying, don't store up treasures. Jesus is all about investments. But he says, store up your treasures in heaven. And when we give and we fully trust God, we are storing up treasures in heaven. Now let me shift gears for just a moment. You will never get to this particular sector of the Christian life until you have fully surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So for some of you that are here today that have never received Christ as your Lord, I want to encourage you to know that God loves you and he's created you to have a relationship with him. 
a, rela- a relationship that makes things like we just talked about easy to do. A relationship that will bring you joy in doing the one thing that the world simply cannot understand. But we can't have that relationship on our own. We can't buy our relationship. We can't ante up and give all kinds of money to the church and buy our relationship with God. No, our sin has separated us from God. So it is only through Christ that we can be made right with God. Isn't it great to know that we can be changed for eternity by simply repenting of our sins and humbly surrendering everything that we have to Christ? If you've never done that, I would invite you to join me in this prayer. I want to say again, this prayer is a starting point of relationship. I've shared many, many times, it's like a couple making wedding vows at their wedding ceremony. It's the beginning of the relationship, not the definitive statement about the relationship. So let's join together in prayer, and if you've never prayed to receive Christ, I hope today will be the day that you'll voice a prayer similar to this. Lord, thank you so much that you have given us so much. We stand in awe of all that you have blessed us with. The poorest among us is rich through Christ, and frankly, we're rich in terms of what the world experiences. God, I pray now that if anyone in this room or listening online has never received you as Lord and Savior, that they would pause long enough to recognize that is the greatest need of their life. And that they would voice a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. And I will literally follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Father, I pray that someone today prayed that prayer to enter into a relationship with you. And for all the others who are already following after you, help us to fully surrender our life to you. And as we pray for revival, remind us of Dr. Ward's words. Quite possibly, The sticking point to revival in our life is it hasn't started in our pocketbook. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. Move in our midst the way that you desire in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you feel like God is moving you to make some type of decision publicly or you want someone to pray with you, a couple of options. You can fill out the communication card that you see there in front of you and bring that to the the communication center after the service in the atrium and we'll make sure someone gets in touch with you this week. Or I'll be standing at the cross. You can meet me over there. We'll pray together. Or again, you can go to the communication uh, connection center in the atrium and someone will pray with you and minister to you there. So let's stand together and let's respond as God is leading us during this final song of our worship. And on that day, we'll join the resurrection. Stand beside the heroes of the faith with one voice, a thousand generations sing. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, forever he shall reign.
here tonight at 5 o'clock.